0: Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This is Daniel Larkin, and today I'm joined by Nancy Guthrie. Uh, she's joining us on the program. She is a writer and a speaker. And a lot of her work is helping local churches and individuals to study the Bible better. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about her book called Blessed Experiencing the Promise of the Book of Revelation. But before that, we spent a lot of time speaking about the Bible and how to study it well, and maybe even some of the mistakes that we are making. Right now, as we sit in our own Bible studies, maybe you're in your dorm room, maybe you are in a local church and you get together with some friends, we can make mistakes. And so you'll find this episode helpful because it's going to help you sharpen your Bible study skills, but also it's going to help us dig a little bit into the book of Revelation as well. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This is Daniel Markin, and today I'm joined by Nancy Guthrie. Nancy, why don't we begin here by you telling us a little bit about who you are and maybe some of... What brought you to write this book in the first place? Because I can see you've also written many other books. And so we to be talking about your book, Blessed, Experience of the Promise of the Book of Revelation. But maybe to start, why don't you just introduce yourself, say hello to our audience, and then uh, we can begin discussing.
1: Sure. I'm Nancy Guthrie. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. But I have to tell you for your audience that uh, all of my father's family came from Canada Okay, My grandfather um, worked on the oil fields in Canada, and so my dad and all of his siblings grew up in places like Peace River, and I I still have cousins in Calgary and Edmonton, so I love Canadians, so glad to be with you. Uh, I do love Nashville, too. I live here. If people think of Nashville, they usually think about music. Usually they think country music, but actually Nashville is a little bit more than just simply country music. Uh, in fact, my husband is in the music business. We both work here at home. My husband uh, publishes kids' musicals for the church from a business called Little Big Stuff Music. So they create <laughs> little musicals. They create two a year, a Christmas musical and a non-seasonal musical that kids at a church or a Christian school can, you know, put on a program and sing and act and dress up and make their parents and grandparents laugh. And so he's got lots of Canadian customers for that musical, for those musicals, which is really fun. I work here mostly uh, preparing for teaching. I travel around the country and internationally a great deal teaching. Mostly these days, I start in 2019, I started a thing called the Biblical Theology Workshop for Women. I have this, I'm on a mission, Daniel. My mission is to infiltrate Bible studies and most specifically women's Bible studies in the local church with biblical theology. And by biblical theology, I don't simply mean theology that is biblical. Rather, I mean a way of approaching the Bible that understands that the Bible is one story centered on the person and work of Christ. So that means from Genesis to Revelation, we trace its story and that the Old Testament is all pointing toward the the person and work of Christ. Um, But we're headed toward, certainly from the Old Testament, we're headed toward the climax of this story coming in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Uh, And we find ourselves still in the midst of this story, we're waiting for the resolution of this story, which will come when Christ comes again to establish the new heavens and the new earth. So I love to teach women to help them get a good solid handle on that central storyline of the Bible and to also introduce them to the idea that the divine author has written into his book a number of central themes and that when we know what those themes are, we're better able to grasp the message that the divine author is intending to communicate to us through his book. So I spend my time uh, planning for and preparing for a lot of those workshops and um, writing books and teaching at my own church. And I do a lot of walking in the park with my friends because it's a beautiful place to live.
0: (laughs) That sounds amazing. As you look at the ways people have been studying the Bible, whether it's a women's ministry or maybe even people in their home studies, right? You get a small group of friends in a college dorm or whatever. What are some of the main mistakes people are making when they study the Bible? Like what are some of you notice? It doesn't matter the country, it doesn't matter the region. What are some of the same mistakes that are popping up over and over and over again? Things that we're not quite getting right.
1: Such a good and important question, Daniel. I'm so glad you asked me that question. I think a mistake that I have made most of my life and I think it's just kind of the ethos of most Bible studies is that we read something in the Bible and we tend to then immediately jump to how do I apply that to me? What does that mean to me? And it's not that we don't want to get to how does that apply to me or what are its implications for me? It's that there are two places we have to go first So that we know how to rightly apply to ourselves so first of all we've got to ask the question what did the writer of this passage what was their intended message for the original recipients the original readers of this book so in the old testament you know, you you read the books of Moses, and you're thinking about those people in the wilderness, or after they have entered into the land under Joshua. And we're going to think first about what does this mean for them. All right, so we go to what I would call them then. All right, go there first, but then we don't want to go directly from there to what does this mean to me because you and I live in a different era from them. We are we are not the the covenant people of of the nation of Israel living in that particular place and time and era of biblical history. And so there's somewhere else we have to go first, then next. From there, we go to what difference does the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus make in how I understand this passage? So we go there, and we say, okay, so for example, when we read the law, You know, you got the law written on stone, those Ten Commandments, but then you've got the rest that aren't really on stone. They're applying the Ten Commandments to those particular people. And so we don't jump from there to how do I apply this to me? Instead, we think, what difference does the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus make? And first of all, we see his righteous life, that he fulfilled the law in our place. And then we look at his death He died to take upon himself the punishment that you and I deserve for being lawbreakers. And then he has risen and sent his Holy Spirit to give us his spirit, to give us the ability to love God's law, to delight in it rather than be crushed by it or condemned by it. And see, that then enables us to figure out how does this apply to me? But we've got to go those first couple of places first. So that's probably my really, my biggie is we jump too quick to application. And I'll just give you another one other one in terms of, you know, how do I wish Bible study in the typical church was different? The second thing is we tend to want to set the agenda for what we're going to study in the Bible. And our agenda is usually centered around felt needs or our own curiosity. Now, I am all for approaching the Bible with a curious mind. In fact, at these biblical theology workshops for women that I do, I'm constantly telling them, are you bored with the Bible? Well, bring your curious mind to the Bible. Don't just be spoon-fed by somebody. What's something you want to figure out from the Bible and then set out to do it? Because that makes Bible study engaging. But sometimes we decide what we think is important that we get out of the Bible. We pick a particular topic. and We say, I want to, you know, I want to hear what the Bible has to say about this. And once again, that's not a terrible thing, but it's us setting the agenda based on what we think we most need to know. And the thing is, if you and I set the agenda, we're probably never going to study Leviticus. And we're never going to study Lamentations and we're never going to study Obadiah because we think those things have nothing to do with us. And so when we let God set the agenda and what we study, I think what we actually find is that he's answering the questions that we most need to know the answers to. We just didn't we didn't know enough to ask the right questions.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, that's the whole debate in churches between topical preaching or expositional preaching, right? Where if it's topical preaching, hey, we're going we're gonna to just teach on this topic, you know, maybe it's dating in the church, or we're going to do a whole series on money or something like that, right? And you, you kind of hone in on one spot. I think there's a time and place for that. And I think you can actually do it expositionally where you maybe you, you take that theme, you're saying, well, here are these passages, you deal with the whole passage. But I, I do agree with you. I think sometimes we can... Like when you come in just topically, it's it's pretty amazing, and I've been in bible studies like this, and I've been guilty of you know early on even doing this where you just you quickly deviate from what you even intended to address at the first place because it just I, I don't know you just you just lose focus because there's not a set structure uh, that you had set out and 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 placed in
1: you can tend to start giving good advice that's that maybe has wisdom and it's and it's maybe all really true and really helpful, even consistent with biblical teaching, but not necessarily could we look at the text and we would say, okay, that's what the Holy Spirit intended for us to get out of this text. And I think that's what you and I really want to try to find. Yeah.
0: Okay. So let me press you here because I agree with you.
1: But then what if someone says, but
0: why is that bad? Right? Why is that bad? We came to this passage and we actually like had, we, we ended up talking about God. We ended up actually having a really fulfilling time. We were edified and, and the Lord was glorified in our time together. Why is it so bad? You know, because people will say, why, why are you critiquing the way we ran our Bible study? Did God not speak to us through that Bible study? How would you address that question?
1: Well, you might have been helped by it. But the goal of Bible study is to open up God's word and hear him speak. and. We don't want to put a filter on that. We don't want to deviate from We don't want to assume that what we need most is good advice from the Bible. You know, maybe we need conviction, maybe we need correction. Um maybe we need encouragement. Maybe we just need a a deeper understanding of God's character and the way he works in the world. And some of those things that are there in the text, they might require something of us in our listening um, and in our responding that we don't particularly enjoy. And we think maybe today we think that's not really what I need. I've got this big issue over here that I need some help with. And, you know, we want the whole counsel of God. And so that's why we want to open up the whole of the Bible. And I mean, if, if we really think God is speaking to us, which by the way, Daniel, is that not amazing that the God of the universe, <laughs> he condescends to speak to us in human language and, and we don't want there to be parts of what he has said to us that we say, that we say, you know what? I don't think I really need to know that. I don't think that's something that, that that's really important to me. I mean, what a grave error to think there is something God has said to his people that we just don't need.
0: Yeah. Okay, so now you've written this book, Blessed, Experience the Promise of the Book of Revelation. Um, why this book? And why would you tackle a book like Revelation? Because that can be a pretty loaded book.
1: Yeah, it can, can't it? So some of the times as I, I would just think, what am I doing? But, but here's the thing, uh, and it really connects with what we've been talking about. I believe God has spoken and I really believe that I need to hear everything he has to say to me and that we as the church need to hear everything he has to say to us. And I think revelation in many ways has been, um, well, it's, it's both sides, Daniel. Some people are obsessed with it to a problematic degree and other people have avoided it to a problematic degree. Um, I think a lot of people have avoided it because they know um, that it can be interpreted different ways, and so it can be controversial. But I think mostly people have avoided it because they have assumed I'm not going to be able to come to any confident sense of what this book is saying. I'm not going to be able to understand it. So why even bother? But I believe in what I would call the perspicuity of Scripture, is being that it is understandable and. The other thing that really challenged me personally, Daniel, when I first opened it is the third verse in Revelation, Revelation 1-3. It says, blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy, those who hear and keep what is written in it. So here's this promise of blessing for those who hear and keep it. Well, that means I need to hear it if I'm going to have any hope of keeping it. And so I tried to create a resource it really worked its way through the text of Revelation that didn't infuse it with controversy. I mean, some people might find it problematic that I don't present, here's all these different views, but I actually think for the typical person in the church, especially where we are in 2022, when there are so many things people are arguing about in the church, so many things that divide us, I really tried to create a resource that people could dive into this neglected book And absorb what I think is actually a very clear message. You know, I started in thinking the hardest thing about this project is going to be understanding Revelation. And I quickly discovered no, that's not the hardest thing. The hardest thing is living in light of it. Because if you ask me what Revelation is all about, here's my answer Revelation is a call to. A patient endurance of suffering for your allegiance to Jesus Christ as we wait for his kingdom to come in all of its glorious fullness. It is a call to refuse to compromise with this world as we wait for his kingdom to come. And honestly, those are pretty challenging calls for us. It's really hard. I, I love my comfortable life. And so to be willing to suffer marginalization either even but in many parts of the world outright persecution because of my bold allegiance to Jesus Christ and what he teaches that's a huge challenge but i think for me it's even harder just to to have eyes to see and then the will to forsake compromise you know compromise for the cause of my own comfort and that's the huge challenge it presents to me and i think to all who read it
0: yeah half of the book I know specifically like seems just so out there uh there's a there's a great um meme floating around and us millennials we love our memes right but it was with all the craziness in our world last couple years right there was people who were you know it's like my parents in their 20s they're like hey we should settle down and buy a house and then it was you know us in our 20s and it's like which chapter of revelation is going to be fulfilled today <laughs> right and I, I thought it was pretty funny and so but you're, People have been looking at that book and they're like, well, what's happening? Is this the end times? And they completely miss the challenge of the first half, which is all letters to the churches. And Jesus, in some ways, like like you said, he's calling them to this endurance, but he's also um, calling them out. And I even think about like the letter to the church in Laodicea where he's basically saying, like, you guys, you, you either got to be all in or just accept that you're not. But because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. And it's like, wow, you know, we as churches need to be hearing that.
1: Yeah, the whole of the book, you know, you were talking about the letters in chapters two and three, which are, I mean, we can see ourselves in practically every one of those letters. I mean, it's the letters to seven churches, but in a sense that's communicating letters, not only to seven churches in Asia in his day, but even that number of seven would kind of indicate, this is to all of the church. And in fact, in every age. And as we see all of the different ways, some of them are actually persevering quite well and staying quite faithful. That Maybe we would see some of that in our modern day churches, but, you know, also some of the things we see there in terms of sexual immorality, idolatry, compromise, love of comfort. We certainly see those things in ourselves as well. And so the whole of the book, though, what just keeps coming back is to endure faithfully, endure in such a way that you will receive everything that God has promised to those he loves and calls his own.
0: Yeah, Um, and people don't change much. And so those words, you know, and that's the thing I've learned through, I did a history degree. And what you see over and over and over again is people didn't change much. We just have iPhones now. (laughs) <laughs> um but we still are walking in the same mistakes the same sin and still need to walk in the same place of repentance and and wholeness before God maybe as you as you've been studying this if you could tell us what was the most challenging part of of writing this book and then after you know you finished the book what has been the most satisfying part of writing this where you look back on it, you're like oh, that, I'm so glad that I wrote this. What has been the most challenging part while writing it and what was the most satisfying part upon finishing it?
1: Well, I think one thing that's really hard about Revelation is it's filled with the wrath of God towards sin and the very real judgment that is coming to all who reject his promise of grace and mercy. So, you know, the, the dealing with the reality of judgment. Now, now, what's so fascinating to me about the judgment in Revelation is the attitude toward that judgment that actually we get to hear saints in heaven who are seeing the judgment of God. And here's how they respond. They celebrate. They They celebrate God. They worship God. For his judgment, because they say it is just and true. So they look into the judgment of God and they see, first of all, vindication. You know, okay, God, you promised you would set things right. And as they see it, they say, okay, God, you are doing what is right. You are finally setting things right. And so they see this perfect justice of God. Whereas I think sometimes the judgment of God, we feel a little bit embarrassed by We're just not really sure it's that just. We think maybe it's going to fall on some innocent people, some people who don't deserve it. And so actually I think Revelation helps us with that, but I think that's a challenging part of Revelation. In terms of what I loved, uh, I mean, gosh, it doesn't get any better than Revelation 21 and 22. It's such a beautiful picture of what all of history you say you love history. This is where history is headed. You know, history is not headed merely toward you and I living a lifetime here and then going to heaven when we die. I mean, that's an incredible promise. However, what history is headed toward is the return of a victorious Jesus on this white horse, uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and He Him exercising this final judgments against everything that has caused so much pain in the world. And he's going to deal with it for good. And he's going to establish what is this ultimate marriage with his people, this ultimate community made up of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, this this city that's going to be completely secure, this face-to-face communion with the one who made us. I mean that is where history is headed and so to to get to present to people through this book or when i teach it in person to get to present this is where history is headed this is why it matters that you have become united and joined to christ this is why that is essential urgent and why it's it's so beautiful and so good because it's being joined to Christ that's going to lead us into that incredible future in his presence.
0: Just like any good movie, right? We're so satisfied at the end. And this is why we like the fantasy genre. There was, a, I think, a paper written by J.R.R. Tolkien called On Fairy Stories. And we all know he wrote Lord of the Rings. But he said the reason that we love fantasy stories so much is there's this the struggle and this fight, but at the end everything resolves and everything is made right. All the evil is undone. And we just keep coming back for that. It's every movie, we just love the satisfaction of of the enemy being defeated. And we literally get that promise in this in this life. Like it's not a fairy story to say that Christ will return, but it's reality. And that is a story that I think more and more people need to hear and be allowed to get behind like, and enjoy, you can enjoy the fact that this is a promise that this is gonna happen. So that's that's an amazing, amazing piece uh, of it as well. Um, you know, we're running out of time here on our program, but maybe give us a last word. As you think about our young adults in Canada, in the United States, those of us who are growing in the faith, you know, some of us are, are young married, some of us are maybe dating or, or just looking into that, y- you name it, all the things that young adults want. What is something some counsel you would give to us in this day and age and and what would you say to us to encourage us in the faith?
1: I would say take hold of the only things and the only person that will last beyond this life. You know, when we're young, we just we just think we have this enormous long future and it can be about building a comfortable Enjoyable life. And I think the countercultural message of the book of Revelation is to encourage believers to recognize that actually this life is very brief and that the greatest joy in life, this blessedness, I mean, think of blessedness that's being promised here seven times in the book of Revelation. It tells us what kind of people are blessed. And it is so countercultural. And that's why we, as someone who's 60 years old like I am, or someone who's in their 20s or early 30s needs to hear. And that is that this life is brief. And what the good life really is, is life in Christ. And for some of us, life in Christ is going to mean experiencing, sharing in his suffering in profound ways. But what you can be sure of is having taken hold and becoming united to Christ in this life, you can be sure that this life is not all there is and that actually this life is a blip on the screen. Of all of eternity. And one of those seven blessed statements is blessed are those who die in the Lord. Now, that sounds like a huge bummer, <laughs> especially to a young person. You can just think, oh man, that is so far away. But let me tell you what here's what it takes to die in the Lord. What it requires is that you live in the Lord right now and tomorrow and next year and over the years to come. And to believe that the good life is not all to be had here and now. Babylon, that's the way Revelation would describe life here, a materialistic kind of life, enjoying all of its wealth and power and privilege. It would say Babylon is falling. Babylon is falling away. But what's going to emerge is the new Jerusalem. This community of all of those who have been transformed and protected and made completely new by their connectedness to Jesus Christ. And so that's the most important thing about your life, that you would be connected to Jesus Christ in a meaningful and what will prove to be an eternal way.
0: Amen. That's so good. Nancy, thank you for your time. Thank you for being on the program with us. And uh, we look forward to speaking with you again.
1: You bet. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or
0: Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. In Doubt is a ministry that exists to engage young people with biblical truth and provide answers for many of today's questions of life, faith, and culture. Through audio programs, articles, and blogs, In Doubt reaches out to encourage, strengthen, and disciple young adults. To check out all the resources of In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Or if you're in a position or share a passion for the ministry of young people, you can support the ongoing mission of engaging a new generation with the truth of the Bible. First, you can pray for this ministry. And second, and if you are able, please consider a financial gift by visiting indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Your gift of any amount is such a blessing and an answer to prayer. Thanks.